if that doesn't wake us up, I don't know what on earth it should take, folks. Isn't that scary? Isn't that frightening? And then you look at, uh, I mean, the, the Islamic world is so keen on populating through, you know, uh, having children, and the Christian world has simply gone to sleep. It's very consequential in terms of what we're studying at the moment. For those of you here for the first time, we're doing a series on end times. Right? This is an end times church. It's an international church. One of the reasons we have an afternoon congregation with a Pakistani group there is for that very reason. Because from Pakistan, from India, they are flooding across the world. And local churches, forgive me for saying this, but are asleep in terms of end times consequences. The return of Christ is not, in reality, on the agenda or on the plan of most churches. We're just looking after ourselves. And I see this everywhere I go, and I thank God for VFC Singapore and for the, the, the insight to be an end times believer. And I, I, I guarantee you folks, in just a few years, we will grow exponentially, exponentially. Because I know it's a small start, and I know it's humble beginnings, but don't be fooled, because this wave will not be stopped, but God will not be mocked either. And there will be that end times harvest. We began... Three weeks ago, was it, doing a series on the end times. It's the end of the world, in case you didn't know it. The world is about to wrap up. They were talking about 2050. (laughs) I don't think we got till 2050. I honestly don't know. I've studied end times since I got saved. I've been saved about 20 years. At one point, we moved house. And I had my eschatology books in one corner. And I started to stack them up to move them. And they were taller than me just on end times. I hate sensationalism. I absolutely loathe it. I hate hypothesis and conjecture when it comes to these things. I'm not giving you any of that. I'm stating a a, a partly educated opinion on what the Bible has to say about end times. And I don't say it lightly. I, I I, I do not believe we've got till 2050. Not with the current situation. Not with the statistics that you've just seen and not with the political and religious situations in the world. Not a chance. It's coming at us like a steam train and we're just self-obsessed. The church looking after itself, concerned about how we feel instead of doing our end times job. Let's not make that mistake. Amen. When you talk about end times, you get a mixed reaction. You get a mixture between fascination and fear. You get all sorts of reactions, actually. People think, oh, end times, right. I think I want to know about that, I think. Maybe I don't. And they get a little bit frightened. Man has always been fascinated with predicting his own future. People want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, they love that. That's why, I mean, there's three big ways in which the human race can predict the future. And one is through superstitious means. You've got horoscopes and clairvoyance and stars. Still very popular. That's why... No national newspaper would ever come out without stars in it because people love that. But statistically, stars, horoscopes, clairvoyance, they're 95% wrong. I guess if you say enough things, you'll get about 5% right anyway, right? 95% wrong. The other way people want to predict the future is through scientific deduction. And there are whole departments in universities around the world that devote themselves solely to this. In fact, there's one in Britain predicting when the end of the world will be. There's one in Guildford. There's one in Nevada that just through scientific means, looking at global warming and pandemics and all that sort of thing. 
and they predict how long they think will last. In fact, I believe the statistics coming out of Guildford at the moment are that the world could not surpass 2050, like they said there. And as they say, I don't think it's that far ahead. But scientific deduction is proving to be 75% wrong. So you've got the superstitious means 95% wrong. You've got scientific deduction predicting the future 75% wrong. Thank God we've got a Bible. Because this currently, and this is a statistical fact, is 80% right. I don't mean it's 80% right. I mean so far. Of the 735 prophecies predicting what was going to happen, so far 596 have come true. So that leaves about 20% left. And the series we're currently doing concerns that 20%. Right? The things that have not yet happened. The most predicted thing in the Bible is the second coming of Jesus Christ, even more than the first. The Bible's got a lot more to say about His second coming because it's the consummation of all things. Everything's about to change. The second most predicted thing is the day of judgment. And we can't say we haven't been warned. Every single one of us will be judged. And we're even told what we'll be judged on. We'll be judged on what we did whilst we lived, and we'll be judged on our words, what we said. That's why you have heard me talk about your speech many times. Not to speak negatively, right? That's why. Because we've got to take this seriously. I'll be judged on every word that came out of my mouth. What you did and what you said. And for, just to begin this series, we've looked at what are the signs, and there's three big signs that Jesus said you should look for that will tell you the world's about to end. And the first of those signs was that the gospel would have traveled right around the world. Has it? Absolutely. And we saw that in great detail just a few weeks ago. The second sign, I hope you're listening, is that the Jews would have returned to their homeland. Well, in 1967, they, sorry, in 1948, they did. Okay? So there's going to be a generation in which there's wars, famines, earthquakes, in which the gospel has gone around the world. And by the way, media and TV is one of the ways of fulfilling that prophecy, right? And a generation in which the Jews will have returned to their homeland and their hearts will be to some degree softened. The Jews are softer today than they have ever been. And the third big sign that Jesus told us to look for was the rise of the Antichrist. And that's today's topic. Please get a Bible or look at your neighbor's Bible. Turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Today's topic in end times is the arrival of the Antichrist and understanding everything that that means. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, that's the rapture, we ask you, brothers not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord had already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, now that's the Antichrist, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple. See that? Setting himself up in Israel in, it, in a new built temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now let me quickly go to 1 John, please. You need to know these scriptures probably better than any other scriptures today because of the nature of the days in which we live. 
Turn to 1 John, please, in chapter 2. And look at this. These are a few more references to the Antichrist. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18 says this. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, plural, have come. 1 John to, uh, 2 uh, verse 18. 1 John chapter 2 verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist, singular, is coming, and even now many Antichrists, plural, have come. And then just flip over one page. Last scripture, 1 John 4 verse 1. Dear friends, do not, be uh, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how we can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So I remember when I first came across that in those three terms, it is, it's bamboozling, it's confusing. I don't know about you, but I find it confusing. John says that there's the Antichrist, right? A person, a, you know, singular. Then he says there's a spirit of Antichrist. And then he tells me that there's many Antichrists. Now, I'm an end times believer, and so are you. And so I need to know exactly what the spirit of Antichrist is. I know exactly, I, I need to know who these many Antichrists are. And I want to know about the Antichrist and see what, how each one of them is going to affect me and you as we live in these last days. So let's look at the first one, the spirit of Antichrist. What on earth is that? Well, that's a spirit, I believe, that has been in the world a very long time. And you can see it in, in governments. You can see it in ruling systems. I think of when Jesus was born. If you remember, Herod ordered that all the babies be killed. Jesus Christ, anti-Christ. Jesus Christ was being born, and Herod is anti-that. And that's that spirit. You can see it in, you know, modern-day communistic systems, which are very anti-Christian. You can see it in Iran. You can see it all over the world. But be careful that you don't get a horned figure idea in your mind of the spirit of Antichrist. Because this spirit can be in a very polite, you know, way. We, we once, uh, one church I was in, we were growing, we needed a bigger building. And I went to a local hall uh, and I just knew the hall very well, actually. It was empty. Every Sunday, it was used through the week, but I knew, I lived beside it, I knew it wasn't used on a Sunday. So I popped in one day, and I met actually one of the committee members. And I said, I'd like to book your hall, we're a local church. And she said, ah, yeah, that, that, that um, no, <laughs> that won't be possible. I thought, okay, and I sort of walked away and didn't think much of it. I thought, hey, I'll just go back and ask her why. So I went back to the hall, and I said, why can I not book the hall? And she said, I'm sorry, that's not going to be possible. I said, but the hall's not used on a Sunday. I, I, I know that. And she sort of said, actually, I'm on the committee. And we made an agreement when we, you know, took on this trust to look after this building. This building is open to everybody. We have an open door policy. It's open to everyone except Christians. <sighs> and I could have pursued that. Do you know what that is? She was very nice. She was very polite. But it's the spirit of Antichrist. Now, she would never dream of that. A lovely lady in a very nice area. She would never dream that that's what she was operating in. But that's what communism comes from, right? That's what 
you see all this stuff in Iran at the moment. It's anti-Christ. Often manifests itself in being anti-Jewish as well, right? Because salvation is of the Jews. So this spirit is in the world. That's the spirit of anti-Christ. What about these many anti-Christs? I mean, who are they or what are they? Well, there's just a list of names of crackpots that have come at us down through the years, but you can think of the Moonies or Charles Manson or David Koresh. There's been no end of people who have purported to be the Son of God, right, and set themselves up, but not just that, all sorts of cults. These are the many antichrists, and they're all through history, and they're still in the world today. You need to know about this, because I, I think Christians can think, oh, well, I'm above that. That would never affect me. A cult would never affect me. You sure? Not all these guys are crazy, you know, or seemingly crazy. They span a whole spectrum, the cults. Some of the cults are absolutely doolally, aren't they? They're mad, and you think, who on earth would join that? But people do join it. But it goes a whole spectrum to groups that are actually very sensible and seemingly very righteous. And many good people do get sucked into that whole thing. One of the things that cultic behavior always has in common is the leaders are rebellious. There are normally men who will not come under authority. It's a telltale sign. Any church that you're in or, or give your life to needs to be one with a clear authority structure, believe me. It's high on my agenda and it should be on yours too. So you can see these many antichrists in the different cult leaders that have come and gone. You can see it in false teachers, and John tells us that there will be a proliferation, an increase of false teaching in the last days, and he's very clear about what we are to look for. He says that anyone who denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, such is the, come on, Antichrist. Antichrist. Such is the Antichrist. Now, do you know what, folks? Listen, Jehovah's Witnesses, do not believe and, and will not agree with you that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. They won't. Mormons do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God embodied. Right? So you can immediately know that the spirit behind that is the spirit of Antichrist. Right? And it's, it's one of the foundations of our Christian faith. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord means He's God. Jesus means He entered the human race. It's His earthly name. And Christ means He's the Messiah. He's all three, right? And this is what makes us different. And all the way back here, John was telling us a very easy way to spot that spirit at work in the world is anyone who doesn't agree that God became man, right? And that's just one way. There's many other ways, crucial ways that we need to be aware of too, but that's obviously a principal one. And in 2 John verse 7, he says, if they come to your door... Don't let them in. I get asked that all the time. People say, if Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door, what do I do? Well, you can witness them. I mean, in fact, if you look at 2 John and verse 7, he tells you exactly what to do. In verse 10, if anyone comes and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. So John says, you know, if cultic people or cult people come to your house, don't bring them into your house. Doesn't mean maybe we don't witness to them. But we have extra guard and we're extra careful around that type, right? So I just want you to see, as here we are, we're end times believers. More than any previous generation, we need to be aware what these things are. 
and how they present themselves in the world we live in. The spirit of Antichrist, it pervades political systems and everything else. Many Antichrists, well, these are false teachers and cults and all that sort of thing. And they tend to show themselves up over time. We had a, a cult guy, actually, not far from our church once, and he set him up as a Christian pastor and an independent church and uh, did very well and attracted many hundreds of people for quite a while. But then the teaching started to go way off beam. And the whole thing collapsed. The guy left the country, and part of the fallout from that church came to our church and to other churches around. But we got 10, 15 people from that guy. And he, he really was a false teacher, one of these end times ones. Do you know those people were severely damaged? And when people have had a, a background of being under that type of spirit, it's very difficult to straighten them out. And nearly every one of them came in with a bad attitude. They'd come from a, you know, a dodgy foundation. They came in with intellectual superiority, like they knew something you don't know, that sort of thing. And that is just typical of the way these guys pull people in. Paul had the same problem. He had a group called the Gnostics. The word Gnostic means gnosis or knowledge. And they always pretended they knew something you didn't know. Do you know what I mean? And then it's very difficult. To, it's an intellectual pride that just affects these people. And it's very, very hard, I found, to straighten them out. So, the spirit of Antichrist, you can see it everywhere you look around the world. A little bit in that video right there. The many Antichrists. You can see them all over the earth today, functioning in, in often in political situations. And then we come to the key figure, the individual, the human being, the Antichrist. By the way, that's not him. That's a Hollywood figure, right? J just to begin with, get some things very clear about the devil. The devil is a mimic of everything God does. Remember when Moses worked the miracles? Remember the magicians would come in and they would replicate all the time everything that God would do. And it's the same today. The Antichrist, the devil, Satan, and his kingdom seeks to replicate for you everything that God does. We have a holy trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the devil seeks to replicate. He wants to be a father too, right? And Jesus even commented on him like that, didn't he? He said to a group of people once, you're off your father, the devil. So you've got Satan who's the father of, of his kingdom, right? And we've got God the Father. You've got Jesus Christ, and you've got the Antichrist as the Son. We've got the Holy Spirit, and of course we have the false prophet. So everything God does, the devil tries to mimic. You've got 666, we've got 777, right? And it goes, it's not, I mean, it's all the way through the Bible. It's not just in the end times, right? He even tries to put a mark on us, doesn't he, as we'll see in a moment. Well, God's people were always marked, right? Set apart, Pentecost, etc. Everything God does, Satan wants it, tries to duplicate it. Now, this middle figure here, Satan, the, uh, the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, this middle one is the one we want to look at today. He goes by many names. goes by the Assyrian, the vile person, the man of sin, the beast. There's many different descriptions of him in the Bible. Personally, do I think he's alive? Absolutely. I do believe the Antichrist is alive, and I could give you a lot of justification for that. Okay? I believe he's alive and living in the world today, and probably in the political arena, which is why we should be involved 
much more than we are in politics. But the Bible gives a very clear indication that the world in the last days will be in a chaotic state, that the speed of change is going to get quicker and quicker and quicker. I don't know if you've been following the recession that I have very closely, and the most powerful man on earth is not Barack Obama. <laughs> He's just the front guy. The most powerful man on earth is Ben Bernanke, the chairman of the Federal Reserve. And last week, on Thursday, he made a comment. He came out publicly, and the whole world listened. He said that he felt the recession was now going to end. Remember? And everybody goes, ah. Hang on, Friday's coming. By Friday, one of the biggest banks in the world said, no, we think that the next collapse is going to be ten times worse than that one. Oh, dear. That was quick. The speed of change in the last days is going to be so fast that we're not going to know which way is up. Amen. Feels a bit like that now, doesn't it? The speed of things is going to increase dramatically. And this chaos is going to manifest itself in three main areas. In the finances of the world, in the faiths and the religious systems of the world, and in wars and through the whole political system. So let me just take those one at a time today, and you will see how the rise of the Antichrist is actually right on our doorstep. Turn to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 16. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 16. This is the famous 666 verse. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Hollywood didn't invent it, guys. It was in your Bible, right? All these years, it's been right there. And in some ways, we, 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 we treat it with a little bit of contempt because we see it as like something in the movies. Well, it isn't. It's right there in Scripture, and we need to know what it is. Let me explain about what I believe, anyway, one of the, the, the theories surrounding this, and I think it's a very credible theory. The notes that you have got in your pocket, say a £10 note, the days of, of its use, I think, are numbered because of this scale of counterfeit. Counterfeit is a huge global problem. It has been for many years. Now, in recent days, they've started to put metal stripes through your notes. I don't know if you've noticed. They've started to put all sorts of complicated watermarks to, to bail themselves out, but it just doesn't work. And then you start having the infrareds in the shop and everything else. It doesn't work. And it isn't going to work. The trouble is replacing it. It's an immensely expensive thing to take the notes out and to put another system in. Now, you know that as well as I do. In fact, right beside this church here, there's a printer. I don't know if you know him. Actually, you won't be able to see him because he's in prison. <laughs> I went down to him to get some work done, and he wouldn't do it. He wasn't interested. Now we know why. He was printing 20-pound notes. I'm serious, right here. So... The days of, 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 of money being a paper money being secure are long over, right? And the world came up with a, with a second system, and it was the chip and pin. They thought, we'll get a card, we'll have a little microchip on it, we'll have all your details on it, you'll be able to go to a cash point, and they think the problem is solved. Well, the problem is far from solved. I don't know if you've had your identity cloned, but we have, 
someone stole our identity and they took all the money out of our bank. Right? Now, praise God, we were able to get that sorted out with great ease. In fact, the bank were very casual about it. But this whole system and identity theft has become huge. The world cannot continue, believe me, with paper money or with this credit card system or card system. It's just chip and pin. It's not going to work. I mean, take a look at the fraud statistics. These are huge. This is just one type of fraud in one country in the United States. Just one type, credit card fraud. And currently it's running at about $3.2 billion in, in 2007. I don't know what the 2009 statistics are. But that's terrifying. You multiply that across 70, 80 countries, you begin to see the problem. We have to have a solution, a worldwide solution for finances. It isn't going to be that chip and pin, and it isn't going to be the paper money in your pocket. So what are we going to do? Answer? Ask George. This is George. <laughs> this is George Lawler. And in 1973, he's a mathematician and a bit of an inventor. In 1973, he came up with an idea. He thought, I know what I'll do. I'll develop a system, and he called it an international selling code. It goes by many names. You probably know it as a barcode. And he came up with this system, and he thought that would solve all of our problems. Everybody could have their own barcode. Everybody could have their own and so up he came out came the whole thing now Christians began to travel to George and meet him you know at his home and say George what have you done and this is actually what he did let me explain what this is in a little bit more detail look at the number six right here the number six in a barcode is noted by two single lines of equal width equal width and equal length okay these black lines represent numbers and the white spaces also represent numbers. So he invented a system that would, he thought would be global. Well, it certainly is. This has taken off fantastically well. Now, if you notice on the end, in the middle, and on the other end, to the eye, it looks like there's a six, and another six, and another six. In fact, it looks like six, six, six. So the Christians went to him and said, George, what have you done? You've invented uh, no one can buy or sell in the last days without the mark. They will not be able to trade, and his number will be 666. So they go to him, and they say, what have you done? And do you know what you've done? Do you know what he said? Yes, but I didn't mean any harm by it. I just invented a system. I just invented a system of buying and selling in the world. I didn't, I'm not interested in the Antichrist or anything else. Now, just as a point of clarity, the guard bars in the middle are not numbers. They're the way when you scan in Tesco's, they're the way that the computer reads the different things. So they're not actually numbers. However, to the naked eye, they look like sixes. Amen. That's the point. So they went to him and challenged him on that, and that was his response. So there you have it, friends. It's a theory, but it's a theory that's gaining pace in our day. Last week in the United Kingdom, these cards were issued in Manchester. And they asked the people of Manchester if they wouldn't mind signing up for a new identity card. But this time, the chip within it will have a lot more data on it than what is on your, say, your cash point card, right? It's called a biometric card. It's going to have your, eventually, they would like to get your DNA on it and everything else. Now, Jackie Smith has been pushing this big time. So the end result will be, it seems, is this here. It's a chip 
It's the same as the card, except it's a version of it, a capsule that could be injected maybe into your forehead, I suppose, or maybe into your hand, and they could read that. Now, just last week, I was traveling to the States, and those of you who have been there recently will know that you can no longer travel without a biometric passport. And as I've been approaching the customs again and again, I notice more and more they're not interested in my passport. They want me, keep your head up, keep your head up. They're reading my face. They're reading the dimensions now as well as the eye scan. So they have a record of my eye scan. Now they have a record of my face measurements and your hands. and It's getting very spooky, you know. <laughs> you see? So eventually, I don't think we're going to need I mean, very, very quick. You're not going to need that passport. You walk up, they'll read and away they go, that's what they're aiming for, that's what they want to do. By the way, these things, you know the story, these have been in trials all over the world for years. In New Zealand, they set apart a whole town and did a trial with a chip, chip and pin system, where all it was a cashless society. Now, this is a theory, I, I, I stress that, but to me, it's a very, very credible theory. Very credible. I don't know if you can come up with anything you know, clearer, because it is the last days, and we do have a buying and selling system, which is a barcode, and does have, you know, at least to the human eye, 666. Since 1973, you have not been able to buy or sell on the international market without a barcode. 30, 40 years. And as, as I say, the church sleeps. The church sleeps as these things, we become apathetic towards them as they grow up around us. So the first thing I believe the Antichrist will offer, you know, form of calm where there's chaos is in the realm of finances. The second area in which he will offer a solution is in the area of faith or religion. I believe he will form a, a, a friendship, an alliance with what the scripture terms the false prophet. I believe the false prophet will be a religious leader based in Rome. And then the Antichrist and the false prophet will come together to work together and to offer the religious, you know, faiths of the world a, a common place, whether they're Jews, Hindus, Muslims, whatever. They'll, they'll form a multi-faith group. Now, I've got a copy here of Tony Blair's speech on faith and globalization made just last year. Now, did, you, did you hear that? My God, did anybody, Jesus Christ, honestly folks, you need to wake up. You're telling me not one person followed that? When, when one of the leaders of the world gives a speech to the governments and the nations about the globalization of faith and no one even pays attention? Come on guys, he talked about the, the, the faiths on earth coming together and forming one union, and getting themselves together under one roof, and working together, right? And it's all in our Bible, showing us what will happen in the last days, taking place whilst you live. Let's not sleep through these days, amen, but let's see what's happening. Come on. So he made that speech just last year on the globalization of faith, and I believe this is a foreshadow of what's going to take place very soon that the Antichrist will form an allegiance, as the Bible tells us, with what the Scriptures call the false prophet, who is a religious leader based in Rome. And together they will make a peace deal with the nation of Israel, something the world has never been able to do properly, right? 
to form a peace deal with the nation of Israel, a seven-year peace deal. And he you know, offers that to the Jews, but halfway through that peace deal, he turns upon them. It's, it's, it's actually the seven years of tribulation. Some of you will know that's your European system. And that's Tony Blair making his speech right there. Very significant speech for the Christian world. But many of you will know what this building is, right? That's the Dome of the Rock right there in Jerusalem. This is the second most holy Muslim site on earth. And it seems that the Antichrist and the false prophet will form an allegiance in Europe. Right? Remember the Europe statistics we've just seen? They'll form an allegiance in Europe. They'll befriend the Jewish people and offer solutions to them of peace. They'll successfully sign a seven-year peace deal, probably pretty soon. And then that building probably is going to get knocked down. Because as we read at the beginning of this message in Thessalonians, it says that the Antichrist enters that building and sets himself up as God halfway through those seven years and three and a half years in to the seven years. It's actually split in two. And then things really, really get out of control. You know, there's, there's the seven years of tribulation are divided into two halves, the tribulation and the great tribulation. And this is the, the middle point. Turn to Matthew's Gospel and take a look at this because Jesus wants you to know this. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24 and verse 13. Matthew 24. Actually, verse 15. Sorry, I'll, I'll start at verse 13 because that's what we've already covered Matthew 24, 13. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world, as we saw in our first week, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, what, 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 does, it, what does the next few words say? Let the reader pay attention in some versions. Let the reader understand in others. Okay, let the reader understand. Uh, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, Jesus, only twice in Scripture does Jesus actually call your attention to something. Twice. Once is the parable of the sower, where he says, if you don't understand this, how will you understand anything? So that's a very important parable. This is the second time. F folks, I, I hope that you take this seriously. <laughs> Because Jesus says to you, I want you to understand what I'm saying about that temple. I want you, particularly end times believers, to understand exactly what I'm saying about the abomination that takes place here in the holy place. So that when the day comes, you will be prepared for that day. And we have been trusted, by the way, to be end times believers. Every person here who's born again. God has trusted you, put in special faith, I believe in you to be able to get through these times and to be a witness in them. And this is part of our preparation for it. So he says, let the reader know what this means. Well, what it means is this. A man of lawlessness is going to appear. I believe a political leader in Europe. He's going to form an alliance with a religious leader. I believe in Rome because it says it's in a city with seven hills. Together they will form a peace treaty with the people of Israel for seven years. For the first three and a half years, there will be turmoil, but nothing like the second. Halfway through, and that's what Jesus says he wants you to understand. Halfway through, the Antichrist enters that temple. He sits himself down on the, 
thrown in there and he declares himself to be God. And that's what is the abomination. That's what it's speaking about. And Jesus warns the Jews then who were in Jerusalem at that time to go here, right here. This is the hill country of Judea. He says, be sure to flee to the hill country of Judea. And that's it right there. For many years now, Christians have been traveling there with tin cans, with Bibles in them, watertight tin cans. And they have buried Bibles all over those hills. So that when this happens, and in my opinion, it's not very long. <laughs> when this happens, the Jews who flee there will go and they will find, because the, the whole thing will be bombed severely in the first three and a half years of the tribulation, the Jews will flee there and the, the Bibles will be unearthed. They will open those Bibles and they will start to see their Messiah. Amen? Thank God someone's with it. Amen? Putting the scriptures there for those. These things are going to come to pass just as Jesus said. Only 20% left to actually happen. So the Antichrist gains power in the finances. He gains power in the religious systems of the world and forms allegiances there. And lastly, he gains power politically. And this is what we call the, the Battle of Armageddon. And it's spelled out throughout your Bible. In the not too distant future, Armageddon, it, it's, it's actually a place, believe it or not. That's it. That's it right there. Do you know where this photograph was taken from? A small town. <laughs> Do you know what the name of the town is? Nazareth. Where Jesus was born. And Jesus Christ, as a little boy, could walk out to the edge of his village and look across the plain of Jezreel, in Hebrew, Armageddon. And can you imagine him as a little child, looking out across that? I wonder if God the Father ever nudged him and said, One day, all the nations of the world, the world has always wanted to destroy the Jews, because salvation is of the Jews. Look at the attempts that's been made. But in the last days, there's one last attempt by the human race to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. It is not a coincidence that in the last three or four years, Saddam Hussein said he wanted to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Just twice in the last year, Mahmoud Adinejad, I want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Salvation is off the Jews. And the Antichrist wants to stamp out the Christ. Amen. And this is the last attempt of the human race to finally try and put their foot on Israel that the devil thinks he might gain this world. Well, he won't. And that's the battle of Armageddon. What happens is what the Bible calls the kings of the north. And many believe that's an, al a, 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 an alliance between the Russian states and the Arab states that start to, to, to come down from above there, the kings of the north, Gog and Magog. At the same time, the Bible talks about the kings of the south, the African and Muslim nations coming up from the south to march once again on Jerusalem. This is the Battle of Armageddon. And the book of Revelation says, at the same time, an army of 200 million will march in from the east. Now, it doesn't say China, but it's pretty obviously China. China has had an army of 200 million since 1968, by the way. In case you think that's impossible, it's long in your past. Right? So this is it. The Antichrist rallies his forces in mainland Europe and they began to march over. And in some ways, the Battle of Armageddon is, is a battle that never happens. <laughs> because just like Christ has always rescued his people, 
he comes back right here too. And he comes back in the same manner that he came the first time. He comes in here and he rescues this. He stops this battle. How close are we? How close are we really? I was in a Bible college last week and we were there to talk about missions. And do you know what all the students wanted to talk about? <laughs> End times. That's all they wanted to talk about. Many of you will know a man called John Hagee. You know John Hagee? I think I've read extensively on end times. And I've slowly come more and more to agree with a lot of what Hagee has said. You know what? Tonight we're going to look at the chronology of events. When things happen, right? You know, one, two, three, four. And that's extremely helpful. But up until the recent past, I would have said there's many things that need to happen before the rapture. Right? The rapture is when God removes the church. I would have said to you, based on how I see things, that there are many things yet to happen before the rapture takes place. <laughs> but just in these recent weeks, as I've gone back over it again, John Hagee has always said, well, at least in the recent past, he said, we're ready. Could be today. I'm thinking, man, you know, a real Bible genius there, you know. How can you say that when there's this and there's that, but suddenly... I, I feel like my eyes opened. I thought, I see. I could be in bed, and the European Union could vote in a leader tomorrow. Is God going to wait because I'm not with it? No. The rapture actually could take place this afternoon. You see what I mean? This, these are the last days. And I understand what he means. There's no more waiting. And you might say to yourself, ah, oh, well, you see, the Antichrist has to knock this, uh, this building down here. Hang on a minute. <laughs> what happens if the pre-tribulation rapture people are right? <laughs> then that built, you're going to be up there and that's still going to be there because that's not going to happen until the three and a half year point. Amen? I know that's kind of complicated, but get a CD. Sit down, listen, get a Bible and go through the scriptures. We have no reason to relax. None. And I honestly believe I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind and I see things like I've never seen them before. From this point on, I think we could go at any time. And I would never have said that before. In light of the world situation and the way we finally find ourselves in these days, we could actually go at any time. By that I mean the rapture of the church. And you do not want to be left behind. I'm talking about if, if you're saved. Jesus told a story about the end times church. It's called the parable of the ten virgins. Remember? What was the difference in the five and the five? They all at one point had oil. All had oil. And oil represents the Holy Spirit. And that tells me at some point all of these people were spirit-filled believers worshiping God. All of them. But five of them got a little bit backslidden, ran out of oil, and they were called foolish virgins. Uh, virgins. And the bridegroom comes, does he take them? No. When you actually understand, that's about the second coming. It's the bridegroom coming to take the bride. It's about the second coming of Christ. And there's a warning there that half the church, five and five, half the church were not ready for the rapture. Not ready in those last days. Waiting for something else. 
And I tell you, I've, I've been waiting for something else too, but now I see that actually I don't think there's anything else to wait for. Instead, what I must do is heed that parable and I must be wise and I must be ready at all times. Amen? We're going to do tonight is a crucial part in the puzzle. It's the chronology. Please, please take it seriously, friends. You can't afford not to. And so please come back at 6.30 and I'll show you that just the order of events that will help you understand the book of Revelation, I hope, like never before.